Well, welcome to Podcast 5. Um, what we're going to talk about today is beta. But before we do that, let me give a brief recap on where we're at in the process. First thing as I've talked about is I like to buy individual stocks. I also like to understand the companies that I invest in. I need dividend paying companies for an income stream. If you're young, you'll want to reinvest your dividends because that'll help you grow your wealth over time. I determine my own personal comfortability with risk. I first buy dividend aristocrat stocks and then I look for other dividend paying companies. I look at the company's PE ratio or price to earnings ratio to look at how cheap or expensive a stock may be to buy. And then I look at the stock's beta. Okay, now before we get into beta, I want to talk a little bit about dividend yield. Now, I feel the necessity to explain yield because I said this is the beginner's guide. And the first time that I heard the term yield, I didn't know what it meant. Now, the first time I ever heard the term yield, I was a commercial insurance salesperson for about three years in my early 20s. It was my first year with the company and I went to a meeting and they were introducing life insurance products for the first time in conjunction with the property and casualty products that we sold. Well, we were at this meeting and there was a guy in the back and he was an old timer and he'd been around a long time and, and, and our VP was up front explaining and trying to convince us that the insurance products gave a good yield for investments. Honestly, I, I didn't know what, was, what yield meant. I didn't know what he was talking about. But I'll never forget the old guy in the back. He said, I've never met a businessman that didn't care about his investment yield which I'll never forget what the sales manager said either. He goes, forget about the yield. Just go sell the product, damn it. So I go home and I Googled yield. No, I didn't. This was in 1984. I was just trying to see if you guys were listening. Uh, just kidding. I, I just went home and I knew I wasn't going to the library to figure it out. So it just was going to have to remain a mystery to me at that point. Now, you can tell from this story I didn't graduate with a business degree. I did graduate from college, but just not with math or, math or business degree. I don't know when I finally did understand yield, but it was well past 1984. In my defense, you have to have some money to worry about a yield, and I had no money. So that embarrassing story just leads me to say this. Yield is simply the return you get on the amount of the investment you make. So if you invest $100,000 in a stock that pays a 3% yield, your yield is $3,000 or 3%. Now, again, my 24-year-old self making about 16 grand a year, barely making his house payments, didn't care about yield that much. But I do now because it's pretty important to me. Now that that is covered, I thought I'd take a moment to explain a couple other things. First, the Dow. The Dow Jones Industrial Average. I just want to give you a little bit of information on the Dow uh, for your own knowledge and understanding. The Dow Jones was designed to serve as a proxy for the broader U.S. economy. When the index launched, it included just 12 companies that were almost purely industrial in nature. The first components operated on railroads, cotton, gas, sugar, tobacco, and oil. It is the second oldest U.S. market index after the Dow Jones transportation average. As the economy changes over time, so does the composition of the index. The Dow typically makes changes when a company becomes less representative of the, of the economy. As an example, when a company loses market cap due, due to financial stress or when a broader economic shift occurs and a change needs to be made to reflect it. I, the best thing I can think of to add one was Apple when it wasn't part of the Dow 30. 
And one to take out was when Walgreens replaced GE, and that just happened last year. So how's the index calculated? Well, stocks with higher share prices are given greater weight in the index. So a higher percentage move and a higher price component will have more impact on the final calculated value. At the Dow's inception, it was a lot simpler than that. Charles Dow calculated the average by adding the prices of the 12 Dow component stocks and dividing it by 12, and it just simply gave an average. But over time, there have been additions and subtractions to the index, mergers, stock splits, that had to be accounted for in the index where just calculating the arithmetic anymore just wouldn't work. Now, the Dow is in the New York Stock Exchange, and this New York Stock Exchange sells, not sells, trades about 2,800 stocks. The Dow I'm speaking about is 30 stocks, and that's what you hear all the time. The Dow went up, went down, etc. The S&P 500 are 500 stocks. The New York Stock Exchange is the largest in the world, and, and this is a mind-blowing thing, but they trade approximately 4.5 billion shares a day. There's another exchange out there, and it's called the NASDAQ. There's 3,300 stocks traded on the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange are both located in New York City, and they're the two largest stock exchanges in the world. The New York Stock Exchange has a larger market cap than the NASDAQ, and the NASDAQ is known for its large selection of technology stocks, as an example, Google and Facebook. The main difference between the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange is their markets. NASDAQ is a dealer's market, with participants trading through a dealer rather than directly with each other, while the New York Stock Exchange is an auction market, which enables individuals to, transact, to have transactions between each other on an auction basis. Let me say here that when I spoke to all the information and the noise in the first episode, just think about this. There's over 5,000 stocks you could invest in. Crazy. That's why it's so important to be able to narrow it down. One of my personal issues I have in buying stocks, there's just so many, and, and there's so many I would like to own that I don't own, but you can only own so many. So let's move on to beta, which is what I promised to talk about. And beta is one of the most important and key metrics for me in determining risk. Not my personal risk that we talked about in a previous episode, but what beta helps with is the risk of a specific stock compared to the overall market. One thing that beta does is it looks at past performance and not future performance. And I know I've said in the past that the markets are always looking to the future, but beta looks at history. So where do you find a company's beta? The same place I find stock price, dividend yield, uh, PE and most other data. I'll use Yahoo Finance and I'll walk you through that in a minute. But now, what does beta mean? In finance, the beta of an investment indicates whether the investment is more or less volatile than the market as a whole. In general, a beta of less than one indicates that the investment is less volatile than the market, while a beta more than one indicates that that investment is more volatile than the market. So beta is a measure of the risk arising from exposure to the general market movements. The market portfolio of all investable assets has a beta of exactly one. A beta below one can indicate either an investment with lower volatility than the market or a volatile investment whose price movements are not highly correlated with the market. So think about it this way. An example is the treasury bill. The price does not go up or down a lot in the treasury bill. So it has a low beta and it's not highly correlated to the market. That's why it has a low beta. 
Another example is gold. The price of gold goes up and down a lot, but not in the same direction or the same time as the market. A beta greater than one generally means that the asset both is volatile and tends to move up and down with the market. Beta is important because it measures the risk of an investment that cannot be reduced by diversification. It does not measure the risk of an investment held on a standalone basis, but the amount of the risk the investment adds to an already diversified portfolio. The definition above covers only theoretical beta. A stock with a beta of two has returns that change on average by twice the magnitude of the overall market. So when the market falls or rises by say 3%, that stock that has a beta of two will fall or, or rise respectively by 6% on average, twice as volatile as the regular market. Now you can also have a negative beta. And the, what a negative beta is, meaning the stock's returns tend to move in the opposite direction of the market's returns. So a stock with a beta of negative three would see its return decline 9% on average. When the market goes up 3%, it would, it would see a, a return and climb 9%. So higher beta stocks tend to be more volatile and therefore riskier, but provide the potential for higher returns. Lower beta stocks pose less risk, but generally offer lower returns. Now, that's all I get out of beta. I try to only own stocks that have a beta of one or less. Have I bought some that are higher than that? Absolutely. But, but I always just try to buy a stock that has a beta one or less. So the key takeaways, the beta of an individual stock tells the investor theoretically how much the risk will add or subtract from a diversified portfolio. Using beta to choose stocks is one of the tools to reduce volatility and create a more diversified portfolio. Again, I only buy stocks that have a beta of around one. So let's continue with the Coke and Pepsi analysis we were talking and using. Well, Coke has a beta of 0.68 under one, and Pepsi has a beta of 0.70. So they're both right in my wheelhouse, and they're stocks I would consider to add to my portfolio based on that lower risk and lower volatile compared to the market. Important to note, though, still, I don't use it as a standalone piece. I use all the other metrics as well. So let's also look at Lowe's and, and Target. Uh, what do you think their beta might look like? My first inclination would be since they are on the dividend aristocrat list, they would most likely have a low beta. So I Googled them, 2019, I can do that now. Uh, but I Googled them, and as I suspected, uh, uh, Target's beta was pretty low, as I suspected. It was 0.80. Again, right in my wheelhouse for a stock I'd like to buy. I also just look at Lowe's, and Lowe's had a 1.53 beta, or over 50% riskier than the market, and over my comfort threshold. I most likely would throw Lowe's out and not buy it at that point, because the beta is just riskier than I want to go. Why is it that high? And my guess is that because the housing market drives home improvement stores and housing is fairly volatile, that could be a reason why. But right now, with the metrics we've already been through, I'm leaning toward Pepsi and Target. I picked dividend aristocrats, but you could also do a comparison with Target and Walmart. You know, they're in the same arena. Which is the better stock to purchase? You could look at Home Depot and Lowe's. When you decide to get into a specific sector, it also makes sense to compare the metrics to the competitor. So full stop, let's do a little exercise. 
not the kind in corporate America where meetings where they have you stand up and clap and move around because the subject is so boring. Okay, yeah, maybe that one. <laughs> Just kidding. If you're at your monitor, go to Yahoo Finance and let's pull up Walmart. Now, while you're doing that, the reason is because I want to show you how this is almost the one-stop shopping for all the data I need to look at my metrics. When you first open Yahoo Finance, there will be a quote lookup box. If you know the ticker, and the ticker is the abbreviation used to identify stocks in the market. Ford is an example, its ticker is F. MasterCard is MA. Well, Walmart's is WMT. Now, if you don't know a company's ticker, just start spelling out the name of the company and a drop-down box will appear and you should see Walmart. So the first thing I look at when Walmart drops down is the P.E. ratio, and you can find that right under the summary. What you'll see is a graph of the price activity for that day in real time. Under that, you'll see lots of data, uh, and a couple of them you should be able to recognize by now. That's P.E. ratio and beta. Uh, you'll also see dividend and dividend yield right below that. They're right on the right-hand side underneath the graph. So I can quickly see that Walmart has a P.E. of 25.74, uh, and you compare that to the average market uh, PE, as we've talked about before, it has a beta of 0.67, right in my wheelhouse, in a dividend of $2.12 a share for an annual yield of 1.88%. So would I buy Walmart over Target at this point? I don't know yet. I still want to study some of the other metrics first. Now, I'm going to come back to this exercise regularly as we continue to go through the metrics because I want you to get familiar with this Yahoo Finance page. There are limitations of beta, obviously, but while beta offers useful information for stock evaluation, it does have a few shortcomings. Beta is useful in determining a security's short-term risk. However, since beta statistic is calculated using historical data points, it becomes less meaningful for investors looking to predict a stock's future movements. Additionally, because beta relies on historical data, it doesn't factor any new information on the market or the stock or the portfolio. Beta is also less useful for long-term investments since the stock's volatility can change significantly from year to year depending upon the growth stage and other factors. That's it on beta. It's, it's, it's a very complicated subject, but it's one that you can use very succinctly because it's simply... If you want to be low risk, you go one and under. You want to be higher risk, it's one and over. Now I'm going to move on to, let's call it a bonus metric. Uh, the next metric I look at is the stock's 52-week high and its 52-week low. I look at the price in comparison to its one-year target. So let's stick with Coke and Pepsi. I'm going to throw a lot of data at you here, but at the time I wrote this, Coke closed at $45 and change, which was about... 75 cents off its 52-week high and $5.45 higher than its 52-week low. So that is, it was with about 2% of its 52-week high. So the stock had been doing pretty good in the last year. Now, Pepsi closed at 117 which was about $1.26 off the high. It's $19 higher than its 52-week low, but also within 2% of the 52-week high. With this data, I then called a wash and pointed my terms of my metrics. But as I mentioned above, I then look at the price in comparison to the one-year target. So what is a one-year target and who comes up with it? Well, companies have professional analysts, analysts that do deep dives into the stocks and companies like Coke and Pepsi, and they have quite a few analysts. Smaller companies will have either a couple or none. 
But these guys on the big companies, they do the analysis. They do the analysis paralysis. It's their job. They work for big banks and brokers. I'm sure you've heard the news that an analyst has upgraded or downgraded a stock. At least for that day, it may have an impact on the price or for the next few days. I don't worry about that. I don't respond to knee-jerk analyst opinions for the day. It'd be a great losing money strategy. Why this is important to me is because Coke, as an example, has 22 professionals who do deep dives on the company in their, in their data. One of the analysts says in 52 weeks, Coke's price would be $39. That's the low. One analyst said it'd be $39. And one analyst said it'll be $50. That's the high. So the other 20 are somewhere on the scale between you know, $39 and $50, with the average being $45.50. That's how they come up with that average. They say this is the one-year estimate based on these averages. Therefore, if the average of $45.50 is correct for Coke, it doesn't have much more room to run in the stock price with the current price today being $45.31. And I say it can run obviously over that, but if the analysts are correct in their averages, they're saying it should land about here. Now let's look at Pepsi. It has a stock price of 117. 21 analysts follow it, and their recommendations are of a low of 110 and a high of 134. The average, 122, is a little bit over $5 to run to get to the average, and that'd be an increase of 4%. So with this metric, I would be leaning toward Pepsi more with this metric alone. With that said, however, I do want to point out that the financial professionalists, the analysts, they look and work full-time at this at the same data. And they come up with a range on Coke, as an example, of $11. So it goes me back to, well, who do you listen to? These guys are the professionals. They should know what they're talking about. I say, you don't listen to any of them. And that's why I look at the average. It does give me pause, though, and tells me the anal analyzing of stocks is not even close to an exact science if 22 people can have 22 different opinions. So recapping, we covered a couple key metrics for you to look at. Beta, which helps me determine the stock's volatility, and the 52-week high and 52-week low, along with the average. Hope you enjoyed this. My next podcast, I'm going to talk about analyst recommend, uh, recommendation trends and news on the stock. These are my last two key metrics in helping me pull the trigger on the stock. We'll find a lot more to talk about after this in terms of strategies. Till next time, thanks for listening, and as always, God bless you.